today, as we start in, you can just turn to Luke chapter 1. This is the primary focus of our message today. And it's one that, as I've spent years being in the Scriptures and teaching from the Scriptures, I saw something new in my studies this week. And I'm really excited about it, but I kind of feel like it's one of those things where, have you ever seen those Star Wars geeks, Star Wars nerds? Yeah, and they're like, you know, they're all going to dress up and they could tell you about the whole universe of Star Wars and name like Boba Fett's cousin and all this stuff, right? That That's kind of who I am when it comes to the scriptures. So this may go like, you may like, wow, what was the big deal? But I just want you to know that my study this past week revealed some things that were exciting. And, and I look forward to sharing those with you today. Now... As we look at hope, these four weeks, as we preach them, these are slam dunk weeks. Because everything we focus on is going to apply to everyone in the room. Now we believe that as we're currently teaching through Colossians, we're expositing Colossians, that on any given week, there's always something there for us to learn from the Word of God. Amen? And that as we open our hearts, as we open our minds and ask the Holy Spirit to work that He'll reveal an area that we can be encouraged through or that we can learn and be transformed through. But i got to tell you, when you're talking about hope and love and peace and joy and, and uh, the Christ child, it's like a slam dunk. It's like the grand slam of preaching right there. So today we start with hope. <coughs> I have to share with you real briefly about a hopeless situation. I think knowing a hopeless situation helps you appreciate the hope in life. Uh, we encountered what it's like to be in the Verizon store on Black Friday. (laughs) Hopeless. And so then after that, we thought we we would regain some semblance of holiday cheer by going out to eat afterwards. Have any of you chosen to eat in 32-degree weather? Because for some reason... The host of the restaurant that we said, and I won't name the restaurant, but the host decided to seat my family and I uh, outside. Now, they had like these tents, but are you kidding me? There weren't enclosed tents. And, and, and they sat us there while I had gone to freshen up, up in the bathroom. And I came back, and I'm looking for my family. I can't find them anywhere. And then I'm, I wander out into this patio area, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? They sat us out here, and so uh, here we, I think we could have survived fairly well, and nobody complained. Everybody had a great attitude, but I just felt horrible for the person in our family that we, we call St. Nancy, um, my mother-in-law, because she was just so gracious, and then, it, I, I, for those of you that were uh, fans of Johnny Carson, it was so cold Friday night at the restaurant. It was so cold that when the waitress came out to pour the coffee, she missed by two feet and poured it on my, my mother-in-law. That's how cold it was on, on my mother-in-law's plate. So it was just one of those nights that just kept... But then we really felt bad because she was wearing sandals. And so have you ever had like frozen toes while you're trying to enjoy a meal? 
My goodness, you get like five more crowns, Nancy. And Bill, you get, you get four more for suffering with us in all that. So why do I bring that up? Because this morning, I see that my friend Fernando's wearing some Nikes. Those are looking good, my friend. And uh, now how many of you have noticed that when Nancy plays piano, that she's not wearing, she's our shoeless Joe Jackson on keyboards. <laughs> right? And... Uh, these are some sporting nice leathers right here that Craig's, Craig's got. And uh, I got a Nike. I got a, um, a fashion Keds Walker or something here. I've got a pump and another pump. No, I'm just, this is a, a men's loafer right here. All appropriate for wearing is, and, and somebody over here already has their shoes off. That's great. The drummer, he wore his feet out drumming for us this morning. These are very white, which probably match the state of your soul, which is very good. So, you know, how do you figure out, how many have just one pair of shoes? Raise your hand. One pair of shoes. You do have one pair of shoes. All right, so, but sometimes we wear, do you have sandals? Okay, so you got, you got two pair. So... For some of us, sandals are shoes. I just want to inform you all. But there are certain moments that are appropriate for sandals, and there are certain moments that aren't, right? So what determines what you chose to wear on your feet when you walked out today? The weather. How many of you chose what you're wearing because of color coordination? Yes, thank you, Michael. Very good. How many of you chose what you're wearing on your feet because it's like your new set of shoes and you're breaking them in and you're really excited about it? And on and on it goes, right? So this morning, you're saying, Pastor, why are we talking about footwear? I'm not sure. This may not be my best illustration. But, you know, the point is, is that when we walk, and we walk every day, that how we walk is affected by what we wear. And that's what I want you to hold on today. Uh, let's start in Hebrews you're going to have most of the, uh, uh, most of the message in your, me- uh, your sermon notes this morning. There's not a lot of fill-in. There's only fill-ins for your part, for what applies to you. So let's get into it this morning. I, I broke this, uh, this uh, word hope down into four concepts. Number one, how. Number two, opportunity. Number three, purpose. And number four, exalt. But let's start with this verse right here. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Isn't it fascinating how relatable faith and hope are? I read this at one point, and this is kind of where my illustration was born from this morning, but it says, At the crossroads of faith and hope, A person experiences the power to live beyond their circumstances and troubles of this world. At the crossroads of faith and hope, a person experiences the power to live beyond their circumstances and the troubles of this world. This is all predicated off of this verse, Hebrews 11.1. And the fascinating thing about taking that idea and that concept is that As you look at the rest of the chapter of Hebrews 11, it lists all these patriarchs and matriarchs throughout Scripture that had conflict, had difficulty, had limitations, and yet they rose above them. 
they rose above them. And so they're kind of in this hall of fame or hall of faith, as we put it. And you see the word hope listed multiple times in this chapter, as well as faith. So I kind of look at faith and hope as distant cousins. And that's our, our sermon title today, Hope, the Second Cousin to Faith. Let's start with the word H this morning. Now you're going to turn to Luke 1, and we're going to look at a breakdown <coughs> of two people. Excuse me. I'm going to try not to cough as much as possible. And here is what I found today, is that Luke 1, as many times as I have read it, there is a poetic sense behind it. There is a parallelism that happens between two lives. Now there's a lot of lives listed here. And you could say that the parallelism could be John the Baptist and Jesus. This morning, I want us to focus on the ones that God is speaking to and communicating. Not the ones that are coming down the road, but the ones that God is dealing with right now. And that is Zechariah, the high priest, and his cousin, Mary. And just as I postulate this idea that faith and hope are distant cousins... We get that idea from the, from the concept and the examination that Zechariah <clears throat> and Mary were distant cousins. And it's all about them in Luke chapter 1. So let's break this down. Number one, how? Well, how what? Let's look at the verse, shall we? Zechariah is in the temple. He's doing his priestly duties. And he's visited by the angel Gabriel. And he's shocked. He's scared. And Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are too old to bear children. Now in that age, at that time, that was the crowning achievement, especially if you were a person of stature, to have children, your namesake, your culture, your inheritance would be lived out. It would, it would carry through, through your line, through your lineage. And so you can imagine being a person of of high position, like Zachariah and Elizabeth, not being able to bear children, how difficult that was for them. And I'm sure if you think back even deeper, that the concept of, of serving God for years, there had to be a lot of prayer that went into, Lord, please grant to us, this is our hope, that we would have children. And yet it never happened. Until Zechariah was visited. Until Zechariah was told something by Gabriel that led him to our first point today. Led him to ask the question, how? You see, when we start with the concept of hope, you really have to start with how. Let's look at the verse this morning. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now if you know the story, you know that Zechariah is questioning what Gabriel tells him. Have you ever been in that position? That you know or you hear about the promises of God. And yet you ask, how? How is that going to happen? How is that going to happen for me? Then you can relate to Zechariah, can't you? Now what ends up happening for Zechariah is that because of his doubt, his challenge of faith and watch the distant cousin thing if you will does this statement evoke hope no 
This is a hopeless statement. Why is it hopeless? Because all Zechariah could see was his limitation. Can you relate to that? All Zechariah could see was his limitation. And so the result of that is that hope is gone. And because hope is gone, guess what it does? It affects faith. Because they're distant cousins. They're distant cousins. So, there's a consequence. God follows through with His promise, by the way. That is not God's character. If God's character is to say, I'm going to grant this to you, I'm going to do this for you, He'll still do it, but He may need to teach us something on the way. And that's exactly what happened for Zechariah. You see, he comes out of the temple and the people were worried because he'd been in there for a long time. Well, he's kind of having a one-on-one with Gabriel. So you're not going to really get up and leave from something like that. But eventually he walks out and guess what he can no longer do? Something that I admired Michael for. He gave the beautiful demonstration of it this morning. He did his best imitation of Zechariah. Zechariah could not speak any longer. So we'll all just call you Zechariah for now. So how, this question of how, is where you start when you wrestle with the idea of hope, which is the second cousin to faith. Well, let's look at another person, Mary. You see, this is the parallelism that I'm talking about that that came open to my eyes is there's a beautiful parallel that happens between these cousins, Zachariah and Mary. And it lives itself out all here in chapter 1. Whoever wrote chapter 1, it's kind of funny, right? Okay, Luke wrote it. Okay, just want to see if you're breathing. When Luke wrote chapter 1, he wrote it in a poetic form. And he does so, so we'll take notice of God's design in all things. His perfect timing in all things. So, the same thing happens to Mary. Mary, a young girl maybe between the age of 12 and 14, she receives her visitation from Gabriel. And verse 34, this is her response. Just like her cousin, she says what? And Mary said to the angel, How? How will this be since I am a virgin? Now here's what's fascinating. Both cousins had the exact same response to the same angel. Both cousins were experiencing some incredible proclamation that had huge limitations, right? Zechariah, too old to have a child. It's not going to happen, Gabriel. It's physically impossible. Mary's thinking the same thing, but on kind of a different level. She's switching it up. She's like, uh, if you haven't noticed, I'm not, I'm not married. I'm not with a guy. And how, you know, it doesn't work that way. So that's why she's saying How? Now the difference between the two, and the reason that Zechariah receives a kind of penalty, right? The lack of ability to speak, is because he had a true lack of faith. He had a true lack of faith. Sometimes when you ask how, you're doing that because you're limited in your hope, you're limited in your faith. Is that not right? Because what I've done, what Zechariah has done, is he's looked at his circumstances, and the circumstances go like this in the scale. And our impression of who Jesus is, our impression of who God is, is too light. The circumstances are too heavy. Now what happens with Mary when she says how? It's not a doubting of what God can do. It's a question of, well, how are you going to do this? Right? There, there, there's a difference in, in the presentation of the grammar. 
Her concern was, I don't, I don't doubt that this is going to happen. Could you just tell me how it's going to happen? You see the difference between the two. Mary's excited about the circumstances that are being told to her. So this morning, for you and I, I have a question. When it comes to how, and this is the part that you get to fill in in your sermon notes, the fascinating thing about hope is it stands in the face of us lacking something. Zechariah was lacking in the ability to physically have children. Mary was lacking in the provision of a husband. You, you fill in the blank. You are lacking in... I don't know. I can fill in my blank. You are lacking in causing you to hope for what? Well, Romans 8 gives us some framing for us to answer that question. If we're going to ask that we need to hope in something because we're lacking in an area, how do we proceed under God's instruction, under God's guidance? Well, let's look at this scripture. Romans 8, 24, 25, we read it earlier this morning, says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Some of us, like Zechariah, the, the scales tip too hard. And all we can do is focus on the thing that is lacking. Rather than being patient... And hoping for what we do not have. You see, hope cannot exist when you have what you're lacking in. Does that make sense? And yet we live in a society, we live in a non-agrarian society, that we're really not lacking. And when you take hope from a civilization, from a society, from an individual, you take the very life out of that group. And yet, we constantly hear that having more is better. That satisfying ourselves with all that we can possibly have so that we are not, what? Lacking. You see, if I'm not lacking anything, what do I have to hope for? You cannot have hope without having lacking. That, that just I've, I've worked on that all week, trying to figure out how to say that without it sounding weird. But there's no other way to say it. You cannot have hope without having lacking. So for you and I this morning, my friends, when it comes to this question of how, what is it that you are lacking in that is so important that it makes you say, how? God, you promised this to me. How are you going to do it? The Israelites, the world, the nations were saying, how are you going to provide salvation? Well, I'm going to do it through my son. Um, how? We believe in the promise, but how? And when he predicts it, when he says, this is the coming of my son, when the angels appeared on the fields over Bethlehem, when there were proclamations by Simeon and the prophetess, did people believe? No, because they had the issues that Zechariah had. They were too focused on the circumstances, and the scale of the circumstance drove their hope. I don't know that I'll ever look at the stories within the New Testament of those who doubted Jesus the same way after this message because I look at it as people who were hopeless. They'd given up hope on Messiah. 
And they let the weight of the circumstances get them into that position like Zechariah was in. Folks, limitations are not always bad. They lead to hope. Now the question is, when you ask that word how, what does that lead to? Well, that leads to opportunity. So, in a moment of our, or in a moment, our circumstances can change. That's what I want you to get, gather from this idea of opportunity. That hope has to start with how, but then it leads you to opportunity. Otherwise, hope doesn't have this sense of enlivening us, right? That there's really no, no uh, uh, elixir going on, euphoria going on. If you're a Charger fan or a 49er fan, the scales may be tipped at this point. But then there's always the Warriors. And there's always hope as long as Steph is on the court. There's always an opportunity. Amen? What opportunity do you have today? Well, Zachariah's response was this, when you consider this idea of opportunity. <coughs> the singular moment of hope through Gabriel's message we find in verse 13 of Luke 1 for Zechariah. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Remember I told you that I suspected Zechariah has been praying for a long time and he had probably given up. Do you ever lose track or lose hope in prayers that you've been praying for for a long time? I dare say that if Zechariah gets so discouraged and so focused on his limitation that he's lost hope, he hasn't been praying this for a while. And yet what does Gabriel say? Gabriel says, your prayers, we've been hearing your prayers, Zechariah. Your prayers have been what? They've been heard. Your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Guess what, Zechariah? You've just been given the greatest opportunity that you wanted, the greatest desire of your heart. You have been given. This is a huge opportunity. Do you see what hope does? We may be wrestling with the idea of how, 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 but boy, I'm going to give up on that how because it, boy, it just, it strains me. But when I look at the opportunity of what God could be giving me, it reinvests me in the how, doesn't it? Now, if there's really not much opportunity here at all, I'm not going to wrestle with how. But God knew what He wanted. And he said, I'm going to give this to you. The very opportunity that you've been begging for. Mary had the same thing. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. To know that you have found favor with God. Now remember, what did I tell you was the antithesis of hope? It's limitation. If Gabriel comes to you and says, you have found favor with God, are you going to have a sense of limitation? I'm not. I'm not. But what about for us? What about for you and me this morning when it comes to opportunity? Zechariah had a singular moment of hope. Mary had a singular moment of hope. What about us? What about you? What about me? The singular moment of hope answered prayer. 
Let's look at John 15 to remind us what God does when we pray. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Dear God, I'm a little low on Christmas money. Powerball, send it to me now. Hallelujah. No. It doesn't work that way, folks. But wait a minute, Pastor. John 15, Jesus. These are Jesus' words, whatever you ask. It says, if you abide in me. There are things, and I've told you this, there are things that if Gentry walks up to me and says, Dad, I want a motorcycle. She ain't getting what she asked for. She knows not even to bother asking. Right? Janine, I know that whatever she wants, she's going to get from me. So whatever you ask, just remember I have limitations. <laughs> yes, whatever you ask, but it has to be this concept of knowing that you're abiding in Him. Do you get that? So was it wrong for Zechariah and Elizabeth to be praying for a child? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because it was God's design that they would have a child. Now, it's not always God's design that everybody has children. That's okay. That's okay. There are, there are children. And our church has done a great job. We have, we have three families here that have adopted. And there's more coming. I don't know of any. Just so you're going to hit me up after service. I don't know of any. But I just know that the Lord's working in that way within our church. So do you just stop praying for those things that are so limiting? No, there's opportunity. God has given you promises. And so for Zechariah, for Mary, for you, what are you going to do with that opportunity? You ask. And when you start to doubt, remember the, me the message that we read out of Romans 8, whenever you start to doubt, remember what happened when Gabriel visited Zechariah. He didn't say, hey, surprise! You're going to have a kid. It's a boy. Well, he did kind of say that. But what was thrown in there immediately was your answers to prayer have happened. Amen? Opportunity. You cannot have hope without having opportunity. Let's look at the uh, next point <coughs> today. I'm hoping it will show up on the screen. There we go. Okay. So the next point is purpose. Hope always serves a purpose. Hope always serves a purpose. And I don't know that I've ever thought about it in that context. You know, probably when I go to a ball game or our church softball team, we always hope that we're going to win. We always have an opportunity. We often say how. But we know our purpose. I'm not sure our purpose is to win. Maybe that's why we don't win a lot, but hope always serves a purpose. For Zechariah, eternal provision and personal reward came through John. Let me say that again. Eternal provision and personal reward came through John. Number one, well, let's look at the verse here, shall we? Verse 17 of Luke 1. 
And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Gabriel speaking about John's purpose. The son to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is the purpose as to why they're being given a son. And he, the son, John, will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Again, cousins arise. John and Jesus were cousins. There was a purpose behind the birth of John. Now we see the eternal purpose, don't we? God had a purpose for John. It was marked out. Sometimes maybe we see God that way when it comes to hope. That you're not allowed to hope for something that just serves your own personal agenda. That it has to be really spiritualized. One of the best Christmas gifts I ever got, and I'm going to pander here because my in-laws are here. Um, I, 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 as part of ministry with youth ministry, years and years and years ago, I get, started discipling a group of guys and their focus was surfing. So I started surfing with them. Well, I couldn't afford a wetsuit. It's pretty cold in February in, in the Pacific Ocean. Um, and so my nickname was Captain Arctic. We had all these nicknames for our, um, the surf riders group. And, uh, and so I think my mother-in-law and father-in-law were really looking forward to grandchildren. <laughs> so they bought me a wetsuit. And, uh, and I couldn't afford a wetsuit. There was a reason why I was out there without a wetsuit. I couldn't afford one. But I didn't think that was something I should ask for. That's a really expensive gift. And not only did I get a wetsuit that Christmas, but they made a card like of neoprene with a guy that looked kind of like me in the neoprene. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, what is this? And then I open it up and I'm like, no way. But there's no eternal provision in that. But I kind of felt guilty about praying for a wetsuit. Are you with me on that? But do you see how God provided a personal desire that was limited or lacking for Zechariah and Elizabeth? Do you see that? It not only had an eternal purpose, but it had a personal reward. So I just want you to know the character of your God. I don't give you that point so that you start praying for wetsuits and Rolexes and, you know, Toyota Corollas and all those things. Just understand the character of your God. That He's listening. He's listening. So with Mary, what happened with Mary? So Gabriel's saying, this is the purpose of why you're going to experience this birth, Mary. And he says, he will be great. And He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David. Hey Mary, your kid's going to be important. Like really important. Eternal provision and personal reward through Jesus. How do we know that there was a personal reward for her? You're going to hear it on the last point. You're going to hear it on the last point. How many of you would be intimidated? How many of you ladies would be intimidated? that you were going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Oh, there's a lot of pressure there. Right? Talk about parenting skills. You don't have to worry about it. It's the Son of God. 
Have you ever wondered those things, right? Jesus ever get grounded? I don't know. Probably not. If you're visiting today, you like go to another church. The pastor was talking about Jesus getting grounded at that church. There's something definitely wrong there. But what about you? When it comes to purpose, you know, Mary experienced this eternal provision and personal reward through Jesus. She knew the purpose as to why this hope was being brought to her. Hope for mankind. But what about you? What is being given to you that has purpose from God? What has eternal provision and personal reward through whatever it is for you? And by the way, it may not require you writing something down right now, but it definitely go through it later if it's not coming to you right now. Let me give you a scripture that may help you with it. That God has purpose for you and for me as well. Now you have to start with knowing God. Doing it in your own strength, doing it in your own power. How is that working for Zechariah and Mary? wasn't working. Limitation, limitation, limitation. Guess what, folks? When it comes to eternal life... We are all vastly limited. Right? There is through one person, and that one person being Jesus Christ, that we experience eternal life. That happens when we place our faith and trust that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died and rose on the third day, and that He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that He wants personal relationship with you, and through that, that conquering act of grace and mercy on the cross, He has conquered over sin and death. Amen? And so knowing that, that is the gospel, knowing that isn't enough. Hear me clearly. Knowing that isn't enough. You have to commit to it. And when you commit to it, that means faith. But guess what comes with the faith? Faith, second cousin, hope. Have you ever met somebody who's deathly afraid to die? It's a bit redundant as a statement. But I've been with people that know Jesus Christ in their last hours. And I know you've heard this from other pastors, and but you can hear it from me. There's a difference. There's a difference. There's a difference from people who are in, in the latter golden years of their life. I know people that are in their 80s and they're scared to death to get sick. Because there's no hope. But Jesus Christ says there's hope for eternal life. That's what I'm bringing to you. That's what I'm bringing to you. So what about you and I? Well, you start with coming into faith with Jesus Christ and then you find out that He's had a purpose and plan for you the entire time. He says this, for we are His workmanship. You have been created by God. And He did so with a purpose. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For messing around. <laughs> for watching ESPN. No. For Phil... Fulfilling all my needs, all my desires, all your needs, all your desires. No. You and I were created that we might come into relationship with Jesus Christ and then we might fulfill what He has marked out as a purpose for you 
or myself before the creation of the world. And you know the happiest people I've ever come across, the most peaceful and content people I've ever come across, have locked into that purpose. That's how important this is. That's how important this is. That we should walk in them. Let's go to the last point today. It is exalt. Guess what? Hope produces a smile. Hope produces a smile. When I got the car running on Friday night, and the heater was on high, and after about 15 minutes driving down the road, 30 seconds before we got to the house, everybody had a smile on their face in the car because they were thawed out for the first time in three and a half hours. Hope produces a smile. I want you to think of that one thing that you were limited by and God provided. Think about it. You should be smiling. Now, if you hold to that thought, if all you walk away with today is that hope provides a smile, there's a magnitude behind that statement that is absolutely beautiful in and of itself. But when you know that God, who can do far more above than what we can ever see, abundantly do far more above what we could think or ask, is this on the wings. He's your wingman, so to speak. And He has purpose. So when you say... How is this going to happen? Say how because you just want the explanation, not because you doubt. When he's got this purpose working in your life, see the opportunity and get the blood flowing. Get moving. Put on the right shoes. For whatever it is, he has a purpose for you. And then what do you do? As you experience the realization, like Zachariah and Elizabeth did, and how Mary did with the birth of these two wonderful Godly, one being fully God, godly people. It produced a smile. How do we know that? And here's where I took notice of something I'd never noticed before. I saw the parallels here up to this point. But I never realized that Zechariah gave a statement of exaltation as well as Mary. I've preached on Mary's song multiple times. I've preached on Zechariah multiple times. But I've never preached the parallelisms between how God reached to both of these individuals in the same way, over the same issue, over the same thing that was lacking, and provided opportunity, provided purpose, and the end result was exactly the same. And when you look at verses <coughs> 60, 67 and on, it's not just 67 and 68, but um, you can read it on the life notes, or the life group notes, as far as how far that goes. Um, you see him start to express his smile. These words from Zechariah in praise to the birth of his son. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. And he goes on and on and on to the praise of God. He's experienced the amazing reality of hope realized. Mary is the same thing. Her song, Mary's song, is often called the Magnificent. And at the very beginning, verse 46 through 47, it says, And Mary said, My soul, what? Magnifies the Lord. 
In other words, it, 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 it explodes up. It, it, uh, uh, m- well, it magnifies, right? It takes it to multiple power. In other words, there is no limitation. It gets larger and larger and larger when I think about the Lord. This hope within me. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit, what? Rejoices in my Savior. (coughs) This morning, I'll leave you with this thought. For you, how does this idea of exalt produce a smile? Well, with Zechariah, we see in verses 67 through 79 a soliloquy with a smile. And the same for Mary in verses 46 through 55. And so if you were to give a soliloquy with a smile, what would it say? What would it say in context to hope today? What hope has He provided for you through Jesus Christ? How has hope reached beyond your limitations and your lacking to change your life and transform your life? <coughs> First Peter chapter 1, and I write down in your notes verses 3-7, through seven, but right now we're just going to look at 6-7. through seven. It says this, In this you rejoice, and 3-5 through five was the this. It was your salvation. It was faith in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. And it says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Do you see exactly what Peter's saying? Right? Limitations and trials, they're there. It's a reality. It's a difficulty. It is part of life. But through Christ we have hope. We have opportunity. We have purpose. And the end result of hope realized is exalting. It says, so that the testing or the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the second advent. The second advent is when Christ will return for us. Amen? Are you hoping for that? I am. I'm hoping for it. I hope I don't miss it when it comes. I hope I'm not late. Because I know I won't be disappointed. In closing this morning, let me take this back to how do you walk? Because that's a concept that we're getting out of Colossians. And so you told me this morning the the reason you wear your footwear has everything to do with your purpose for the day. So my question to you is this. What kind of footwear you strap on determines where you plan on walking? To walk in faith, one wants wear hope. One must wear hope. Today we have a candle burning on my left that represents the hope of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that you know that hope and that you do not wait, you do not hesitate to know that hope. But be honest and seek the Lord. Let me close in prayer this morning. And as we do so, just as a reminder for those that have brought uh, an offering We have the offering baskets in the back. If you're visiting today, please fill out one of those cards. You can actually fill one out on the back credenza right by the doors, to the right of the doors. The box on the left is for your offering. The box on the right is for the cards uh, to share 
prayer requests, to share um, any way that we can minister to you. Uh, all of that is back there up and right, and I'm going to go ahead and pray over that now. Let's pray this morning. Father, to you be the glory as we focus, as we look to hope. But Father, sometimes just like Zachariah and Mary, we ask how. And sometimes that's legitimate. Sometimes it, it is too much of a focus on the limitation in our life. Sometimes, Lord God, we, uh, we need to simply trust. And Lord, knowing that opportunities are created by you gives us hope. To know that we can go past those limitations because opportunities are given to us, number one, through your Son, but number two, because of your purpose in our life. And to know that we have purpose and to live within that purpose that you have set out, that you have marked before us, Father, gives us the greatest hope of all, resulting, Lord, in an exaltation that hope produces a smile. And Father, as this Christmas season comes upon us, let us look at it with hope. Let us proceed, regardless of our, our lacking or our limitations, in hope and cherish it deeply. Lord God, we thank you for the gifts that people, your saints, your, your children have brought today. Magnify those, use them for your glory, and bless us this week. To you be the glory. Amen.